So I was born in South Africa, 1962, so I'm an old toppy to most of you. Um, and I was reborn in 1985. Interestingly, in the same province that I was born, which I don't live in today. Um, I was born in Natal, reborn in Natal in 1985, and have been at New Covenant Church Bryanston since August 1985. So I'm probably one of the longest standing members, bar for the Pattersons who were there when it started in 1976. Um, and I've had the privilege of traveling extensively uh, with a number of different people and preaching the gospel and going and working with local churches in different countries. I think to date, the tally is about 38 different countries that I've had the privilege of working into. Um, And you might wonder what my qualification is uh, in terms of doing that kind of work. Um, Well, my official qualification, the piece of paper that I have uh, says that I'm a gardener. I'm a horticulturist by qualification. I've never studied theology. I have studied Jesus, and I continue to study Jesus every day of my life. Um, and that's all that qualifies me, is that I'm a believer. And I go taking what I believe and what I hear the Bible or what I read the Bible saying and preaching and teaching that to other people and leading people to Jesus Christ. It's one of the greatest privileges on the earth to be paid to do what I do. It's like, can you imagine? paid to do what you love for who you love. So I wanted to speak this morning about our our identity. For me, it's the most critical thing for us as believers that we understand exactly who we are and why we are and what God is doing through us. And uh, I've recently moved from Johannesburg down to to Mayerton at uh, the beginning of this year to take over one of our sites, not to take over, to lead one of our sites. Um, It's in an Afrikaans town. And uh, I've, like I said, I've been at Bryson since 1985. And I thought everybody in the world understood the Bible the way I do. Well, clearly that's not the case. Um, I went there and I said to Ashley, our lead guy, he said, I said, you might as well have sent me to China because these guys do not understand what you and I understand the Bible says. It's a totally foreign thing. So our identity is absolutely critical that we understand who we are and who we are becoming. Because this walk with the Lord is not something, it is instant and it's immediate, but it is a process through the rest of our lives till the day that we meet Him and we engage this process. And I have to ask a couple of questions. What comes first? And you're allowed to answer when I ask questions. I'm not a great preacher. That you've got to get down first. Uh, I'm good at asking questions and getting answers. Which comes first, revelation or discipline? There's some of you guys here do CrossFit, right? Who are the CrossFit guys? Yeah? CrossFit, uh, what comes first, revelation or discipline? Revelation? Revelation comes first. Even in the case of CrossFit, is it revelation first and then discipline? Sorry, disappointment. <laughs> yeah, no, disappointment can come as a result of trying to, uh, trying to engage with discipline prior to revelation. That's when disappointment comes. Because if you're doing this without revelation, if you even, even if you're doing CrossFit without revelation as to why, actually at the end of the day it just becomes an endless discipline and you, you'll give that up. For me, revelation precedes discipline. The revelation of Jesus Christ to me and in my life has resulted in a life of discipline in terms of going out and sticking to what Jesus has said and uh, preaching what Jesus has said. Um, the word tells us in Romans 
um, that we're no longer to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed according to the Word of God. And I had the privilege of being part of the South African Defence Force during apartheid, uh, and an even more dubious privilege of being part of the Intelligence Corps. And there they taught us how to indoctrinate people according to what you want them to think. It's, uh, it's, not, a, it's not a huge rocket science in terms of process. It's a t- process of taking thoughts from the conscious and bedding them down in the subconscious mind. Um, now when Paul says we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, he's saying exactly that. Now, that's not a very pretty thing to say to people. You need to be re-indoctrinated because you already have been indoctrinated according to a pattern that is not a godly pattern. It's a worldly pattern. The world does indoctrinate. Um, I have had the privilege of spending a couple of days with my beautiful daughter, Jana. And if you walk into the malls, it's just full-on indoctrination all the time. Buy this. What's it? Summer surprise now. Summer surprise sales, right? Everything is so much off and whatever. You better know they're still making a profit on everything. Um, But that's the world system. They want you to go after the next best and whatever. So I want to read some scriptures. Every decision made is informed. You get the information and then you make the decision. And either that decision is going to be godly or it's going to be ungodly. And uh, that decision is going to conform us. The information conforms us. Either to God's way, which is love, or to the way of the world, which is a fear-based system. Perfect love overcomes all fear, the word says. Um, So I'm going to tell you a story about one of my fears. Um, Ashley Bell, who is um, Starla's dad, uh, Dan's father-in-law, took over Bryanston in uh, 2001. Um, I was already part of the eldership then. He asked me to stay on. And uh, we had a conversation in December 2001. It was just here now on the property. And he said... Uh, tell me what you would like to do. So I said, I'd like to preach the gospel where it's never been preached before. I'd like to go where no one has gone before. And I would like to work with this guy, Henny Cater. So I'd heard some rumors. I'd met the guy in Malawi. Um, and Ashley, if any of you know him, is very generous and open-handed. And he said, go for it. Carry on, do that. So I immediately got hold of, of Henny. And I said to him, I'd like to travel with you. He said, great, we're going to Ethiopia in January. Make sure you do the bookings and get on the plane because everybody else has booked themselves on already. So, all right, great. So I found out as best as I could what I needed to do. Got onto the flight, got up to Ethiopia, to Addis Ababa, got onto a local bus uh, and had to travel 120 k south to a place called Debrezate. They told me, this is the message they gave me, book into the hotel that's under the big tree. It's got a black and white wall outside it. It's the only hotel in town. Well, okay. So I arrived there and I booked in, signed in. It was very cheap, 25 bir, which is less than 25 rand, which for you is like, it's incredibly cheap. Um, well, it's hardly paying. You're getting paid to stay there in your currency. Um, signed in and uh, paid my 25 bir. The guy gave me the key. Yeah, and he said to me, when must the lady come? I said, ke, What? He says, when must the lady come to the room? I said, oh, I don't understand. He said, no, the price is for the key and for the lady. I booked into a brothel. <laughs> it was the right place. That's where we were staying. So I went to my room and I locked the door. And I uh, didn't come out till the next morning. Um, 
So that was my introduction to working with this guy and to preaching the gospel translocally. I had preached elsewhere before for safer conditions. And when, while we were in those meetings in, uh, in Ethiopia, I heard rumors that Henny was going to Sudan. So that's 2002. That was in the middle of the, of the Civil War. And I said to him, I'd like to come with you. Do you have space? He said, yes. Another guy and myself are going, and I've got space for one more. Would you, you, you're welcome to come if you'd like to. So I said, I'd love to come with you. But knowing where he was going, he was going to the front lines, to where the conflict was between North and South. I said to him, you need to understand something. At that point, I was wearing contact lenses. I said, when I take my contact lenses out at night, I'm blind. So if something happens, then you're going to need to help me. He looks at me and he says, the most pastoral thing I've ever heard in my life from any person. He says, if you want to come, come. Don't make your problem my problem. That's great. You know I say that's the most pastoral thing I've ever heard? Because our relationship with Jesus is a personal relationship. This is something we have to sort out between Jesus and ourselves. There's no other intermediary on the face of the earth. It's Jesus and you and God and the Holy Spirit. Dan cannot walk your walk for you. I can't walk your walk for you. Henny couldn't walk my walk for me. I had to make the decision to go on that trip. And I knew potentially it could cost my life because we were going to within 600 meters of enemy lines. Anybody who's in the military knows 600 meters is not a hard shot when you're shooting at such a big target as this. I was a lot heavier in those days. Um, so I told my wife that I'd made this decision and she wasn't too happy with it. Um, we had three, three of our children. The fourth one hadn't arrived yet. Two daughters and a son. Um, and I was quite fearful, to tell you the truth. I thought, Tish, what have I done? Have I done the stupidest or made the stupidest decision of my life? And so I asked God, I said, please tell me. And I had a dream. I woke up. It wasn't a dream. It was more like a nightmare. I woke up from that dream in a cold sweat. And this was the dream. We had been captured, the three of us, and we'd been taken captive by the northern troops. And... Uh, they had given us an ultimatum. They said, one of you has to die so the other two can go away. So we had drawn straws, so to say. Dean, the other guy, was too young. Henny was too valuable in terms of the work, so I got the short straw. So I faced the firing squad. I would woke up feeling the bullet going through my head. So then I had a decision to make. I asked God, I said, so what is this? Is this a no, I'm not to go, or is this a yes? So God greatest pastor of all says to me David if you go and you die I can use your blood as seed for the church if you go and you die I can raise you from the dead so I encountered two great pastors in a very short space of time they tell me this is on you you make the decision this life of being a believer is on us we make the decisions so let's read a bit about what the word says in terms of us as believers. Because like I've said, our identity is critical to our success. And if we understand who we are, then uh, we're not going to get ourselves into trouble. 
So I'm reading from John, the book of John, first chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light through so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. And that's who we are. We are the children of God. That is if you have accepted Jesus Christ and you believe that he is Lord. Then you are a child of God. Sometimes I've heard it said from pulpits that we are all sinners. If you've given your life to Jesus, your identity has been changed. You're no longer a sinner. You're a child of God that may at some point sin. Yes, that's true. But your primary identity is a child of God. And as a child of God, you've been called and commissioned and put in Dubai. Some of you think you chose to come here. Right, yeah. It's all on us, right? We make the decisions. Good or bad, but we're saying a song now. Whatever decision we make, good or bad, God works it out for good. For those who love him, that's where most preachers normally end the quote. It goes on, it says, and are called according to his will. Let's be sure as believers that we are walking in the will of God. So a child of God is the most incredible thing. I mean, I was not a child of God. I was dead and God made me alive. I wasn't bad and God made me good. I was dead, God made me alive. And from the day he made me alive, he's been teaching me and training me to come, become more and more like Jesus Christ. And it's a process that he's begun and he will not stop and he will bring to completion when I meet him, I'll be exactly like him. Isn't that an incredible thing? It's an amazing thing. A process that I didn't even care to involve myself in. I've got to tell you straight out, I didn't ever look for God. No chance. That can never, ever be written against my name. I never went around looking for God. I was a sinner, and I was jolly good at sinning. It was actually, I thought, quite enjoyable. And then one day, one of the guys who has been trained with me in horticulture, gardeners, it's a big name for gardeners, came back with me to my res room, and he walked in the door, and he said, David, you need to know Jesus Christ. And I turned around and looked at him and I said, Simon, you're right. And that's the sum total of my rebirth experience. Not really. That's where it began. He turned around and he starts walking out of the room. He says, you need to know Jesus. And I said, you're right. He leads me in the so-called sinner's prayer. And then he turns around and he walks out of the room. I said, what? Now what? What do I do now? He says, well, I see there's a Bible on your bedside table. Start reading the Bible. Where? Where do I read the Bible? I said, read the book of John. Okay. So I started reading the book of John, and then this thing of baptism came up. And uh, what you need to know is prior to that, 
I was a confirmed believer in the Anglican Church. Confirmed and accepted as an Anglican believer. Although that meant nothing to me. It had not changed my heart at all. Made absolutely no difference to my life. I carried on living as I was. So I was confirmed in 1979 at the age of 17. By Bishop Tutu, Nochal. Uh, which is quite an achievement in South Africa. Um, that didn't mean anything to me until Jesus, until I accepted Jesus. I, said, I acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Savior. I accept what he did. Please forgive me my sins. And that, straight away, that changed my life immediately. So I read my Bible, and I found out this thing about baptism. And I went to find one of the guys in Rez. I asked him about baptism. And he said, he says, yeah, everybody has to be baptized. So I said, When? He said, well, now it's good. So I said, okay, great. The funny thing about living in res at diversity is that everybody knows who the Christians are. They're the weird guys, you know? The guys are always singing and doing strange things. And all the, yeah. So we tried to find another guy as a witness for my baptism. We couldn't find one other believer in res that Saturday afternoon. So we went to the ladies' res. And we found a lady there. And uh, they went and baptized me at Addington Beach in uh, Durban. It's easy to baptize guys in the sea there because they're waves, not like here. So you just wait for the next wave and you say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the job done. And uh, before I went under the water, this guy, Jeff, he says to me, when you come up out of the water, ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. I said, okay. Never heard anything about the Holy Spirit before. So I come up out of the water, I said, Father, please fill me with the Holy Spirit. Jeff says, well done, and we walk out the water. But this lady is standing there, Jackie Templeton. She gives me a hug. She says, well done. So I said, great. She says, don't you feel like saying something? So I said, actually, yeah, I do. And this language came out of me. I've never heard it before. And uh, it was like a flood. That was 8.30 in the evening. 3.30 the next morning. I was physically tired and I went to sleep. I was not tired of speaking or singing in this new language. And I went through a whole experience of a roller coaster of emotions. I know for a fact that God cleaned me out good and solid that night, like never before. And he's held me in good stead by his spirit. So we as children of God have been changed. We've been translated and taken out of our culture. See, I was born a white South African, English-speaking, and Zulu-speaking. English and Zulu, both my first languages. Um, and, but I lived as an un-God person, a dead person, till the day I became reborn. Then God took me out of that culture, no longer white, South African, English-speaking, Zulu-speaking, but child of God, child to the King, co-heir to Jesus Christ, ambassador to the Lord of Lords, full-time representative of Him. All I say all I do, I will give account for. This love that Jesus has poured out upon us, it's not a wishy-washy, namby pamby uh, take it and leave it if you want. It's a take it, because if you don't, you're going to hell for sure. He laid down his life. For me, he took my everything, which was nothing, my absolutely rotten, disgusting, sinful life, he took and he exchanged it for his life, for his perfect, 
never sinned once, never spoke an angry word to his parents, never disobeyed his parents once. This is a sinless life. Lived as a man. And then submitted to death on the cross for your and my sake. And he gave me all of that. In a moment, he gave me all of that. Just like that. And he's never turned away from me. Never left me alone. I've been in stupid situations. Some of them of my own making. Some of them because of what the gospel demands. I mean, I did something in Sudan, which you never do. You never do this to a Sudanese man. I threw a bucket of water over two guys sitting in the shade because we were working in the sun. Those guys do not understand how to dialogue. They can't tell you that was wrong, don't do it again. They just pull out guns. That's how they've lived. That's how they've grown up. God saved me from myself a number of times. God saved me from other people more than that. We were driving on a truck in Sudan, going to, they always used to call the military headquarters New Side. It was never in a specific place. You just had to find out where it was and get there to meet the military. Um, so we had driven, and uh, I know some of you guys might have done 4 by 4 courses. If you want to do a real 4 by 4 course, go and drive up the mountains in Sudan in a, in a Unimog. Um, so we got to a place. We slept over the night there. We got into the truck the next morning, and we were driving along, and suddenly the truck slammed on its, its brakes. Henny was driving with one of the Sudanese generals, and his, uh, it's a Unimog, so only two sit in front. And... Uh, Everybody jumped off and said, what's going on? And they, they, the general jumped out. We had military escort, and he was really angry with the military escort. He asked, what's going on? Why didn't you react? Didn't you see those guys? We said, what guys? We didn't see anybody. Two men had jumped out into the road, raised their rifles, took aim at Henny and the general in front, dropped their rifles, and ran. Disappeared. They ran so fast, nobody could get a shot off. I don't know what they saw, because we're not impressive guys. I mean, Henny is about as short as I am. He's a bit uh, more well-plastered, well-built. But they disappeared so fast. Now, what they saw, I don't know. I won't know this side. But when we get to heaven, we'll see. We'll see that movie. We'll see the DVD or whatever. We'll see what God did, because something scared those guys off, and they ran like uh, faster than rabbits. So recently God has been taking me back to our, uh, our ancestry in terms of our faith. You know, in Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to, to Abram and he says to him, go to land I'll show you, pack up your things and move. And Abram does it. Abram was not, as we understand, a God worshiper at that point in time. He packs up his stuff and he goes. And then we read in Romans, Paul saying that Abram heard the gospel in advance. And all that he did was credited to him as righteousness. Now, we know the life of Abraham is not a pretty life if you've been through it. He made some terrible mistakes. He set up his wife uh, as his sister when she was his wife because he was afraid of guys. Uh, twice he did that. Benefits substantially out of it. But Abraham said yes to God. And so he becomes the father of our faith. And all the promises that are spoken out to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 to 3 are yours. They're yours and they're mine. He said, I will make you into a great nation. I will make you 
a blessing. And all nations on the face of the earth will be blessed through you. Can you own that? All nations on the face of the earth will be blessed through me. Whoever curses you, I will curse. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Can you imagine what it would be like to walk through life with all the authority of heaven right at your side and right behind you? Well, that's who we are. All the authority of heaven and on earth walks with me. Wherever I go, if I'm mauling, Jesus is with me. If I'm swimming, if I'm at work, if I'm at home, Jesus is with me. He promised he'll never leave me and he'll never forsake me. And when the Lord of Lords says, I will never do something, that means he doesn't. So he's with you. Constantly, in every situation, in every circumstance. And he leads you and he guides you. If he feels far away, all you have to do is turn around. Because he's right there. He's right with you. The Holy Spirit will never, ever leave you. He's never going to give up on you. He's going to pursue you. Even if you run, you cannot outrun him. Listen to what David says in the Psalms. doesn't matter where I go. I can't get away from you. Incredible man, David. If you go, go and read his life in the Bible. This guy was about a thousand years before Jesus and he understands forgiveness. How does that happen? In the Psalms he says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. The Holy Spirit hasn't even been poured out on the face of the earth yet. How does that happen? God. That's how it happens. With you and I. The same. Never leaves you. Never forsakes you. Never gives up on you. I was woken with a dream in, uh, at the age of 49, which is five years ago, in uh, nine days or so. Um, and God led me through my life. My first memory, which was verified by my mother, is at the age of 17 months. And he said, remember that? Yes. Every year he gave me a memory, which I remembered right up to the age of 23. 23 is when I gave my life to the Lord. So he said to me, this is what you need to know. I have pursued you from before you were created and I will pursue you till you meet me. Oh, well, that's a word for you. If you don't know this Jesus, he's after you. He's never going to give up on you and he's going to hunt you down like no other one can hunt you down. And if you agree, if you turn around and meet him face to face, he will lead you into a life that is beyond your wildest dream and imagination. Who would ever think that a gardener from KwaZulu-Natal gets to travel to 38 different countries, I don't know how many different nations, and preach the word of God and see people give their lives to Jesus? That's impossible. Not for my king. He does extraordinary things through ordinary people. And that's what I want to be involved in. That's what I'm giving my life for. I want to make sure that I get involved in such 
crazy situations where it's impossible that I get the credits for what happens in those situations. It has to be Jesus. It has to be God. It has to be the Holy Spirit. I would rather give my life to that. I mean, for some of you, I'm pretty old. I'm on the downhill slip. Um, But what years I've got left? I reckon I've got uh, 54, that's six, uh, about 66 years to go. About 66. So I haven't reached the halfway mark yet. 66 years to go. Um, you, know that, you know that three score and ten, Mo, uh, Moses? That was a wine. That was a whinge. That wasn't what God said. God said 120, okay? So don't let anybody shortchange you. Don't let anybody cause you to believe you are less than you are in God. And don't shortchange God. God says you're His. God says you're his representatives. And God's not going to change that. There's no other plan. Some of you came to Dubai by choice. Now you're here. Now you're part of his plan. So what's he doing with you? You know, it's not difficult to preach the gospel. You just have to live it. You don't have to preach. Actually, sometimes preaching gets in the way of what God is trying to do. You just be who God has made you to be. In Romans chapter 12, we read about the different gifts. These are gifts of the Father. That's who God made you to be. He doesn't change that. It says that's without repentance. It never goes away. You are who you are. God made you who you are. The fact that you don't know who you are is fine because God's happy to teach you who you are. Actually, the best place to learn who you are is in God's presence. Then you can know who you are and why you are what you are, where you are, and what you're for. There's a great destiny over you as a people, over this city lights. It's so exciting to see what God is doing through you people. Not many testimonies. This is my testimony. But for the love of God, I would be dead. I'm talking about physically dead according to the lifestyle I was leading but worse than that I would be spiritually dead I'd be going to an eternity without the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords eternal separation from God I don't know what that looks like Jesus does, he experienced it on the cross so maybe you don't know this Jesus Maybe you'd like to get to know him. If you would, would you speak to Ryan after the meeting? Change of identity. From dead to live. From blind to seeing. From crippled to walking. Let me tell you one more story as I close. On my first trip into Malawi, I was sent to a place called the Shiri Valley. It's hotter than here, if you could believe that. Uh, It's more humid, and there are enough mosquitoes so that if you slap your leg, you leave a red handprint. I was sent there with a couple of other guys, very uninformed about what we were supposed to do. We were going to preach. I arrived at a place called uh, Bangula, um, 
And there were people who had walked for two and three days through swamp to come and hear the gospel. And we preached there. We didn't know we were supposed to take food to feed these people. They listened to us for three days without eating, and then they walked back three days to where they came from. I met a man there. His name is Gresham Nyakamela. Um, he's in heaven now. Um, he's a very simple man, but he believed fully with his heart. And he did this once. <laughs> he went to a funeral um, where two men had died. And, and in Malawi, you bury people very fast because it's so hot. There are no refrigeration facilities. So the day you die, you get buried. So he was at the funeral. And he, he felt God say, God wanted to raise these men from the dead. So he said this, God, you are great. In the name of Jesus, stand up. One man stood up. God, you are great. In the name of Jesus, stand up. Second man stood up. When Gresham was going to go home to heaven, he spoke with Henny and he said he was afraid of dying. He asked if Henny would go with him to heaven. You guys can raise the dead because it's not you, it's Jesus. And even if we raise the dead and we do those incredible things, fear is a real thing. That's what we have to fight. But take it on. Face it. Don't run away from it. Face it. And then do what Jesus did. You quote the word of God. This is what God has said. This is who I am. And this is what's going to be done. Let his kingdom come and his will be done in all of your lives. Amen.